Welcome to Cup the Bull, an insightful podcast which addresses the news of the day and the cultural issues plaguing our society. Bringing logic and context to these topics and discussing solutions too real for mainstream pundits. Now, here are your hosts, Charles Love, Shamika Michelle, and Wilfred Riley. Hello and welcome to Cut the Bull. I am Charles Love alongside my co-host Shamika Michelle. And our guest this week is Eric Smith. He's a professor of rhetoric at York College, uh, founder and co-founder and president of Free Black Thought, which we'll talk about, and the author of the book, A Critique of Anti-Racism in Rhetoric and Composition. Eric, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. It's great to have you. Um, you know, some of our, I've been getting comments and like, when are you going to have Eric on? I'm like, I don't know. What to Ask Eric. <laughs> we want him. To be honest, I was kind of wondering that too, but I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> you know, I didn't well, want to. Well, it's happened. Pushing. It's happened. You uh, know, um, there's a lot going on. Every time we talk across paths, things have shifted a bit. Every once in a while, sometimes for the good, a lot of time, not so much. And I guess we should start briefly. We talk about this a lot, so we don't need to spend 20 minutes on defining it. But uh, I think what I want to do differently with you, uh, having written your book from the from the lens you did and, and talking the way you talk, kind of address what this does in practice. A lot of time when I talk, I talk about, you know, the results of things. I'm a solutions guy, the ramifications of. Most of the argument is whether this is right or wrong, or you're a racist, or you're a racist because you don't want this. You, you know, you're being racist because you're teaching this, but we got to get down to brass tacks. What is it actually doing? So talk a bit about uh, anti-racism itself, kind of like, you know, how it came. Now, you don't have to go all the way back to the beginning, right? But in recent times, in the last five to eight years, how it became so prevalent, how it went from already being education kind of behind the scenes, but no one talked about it, to just being this full-blown mission in every part of our culture. Well, I mean, the term anti-racism, you know, etymologically, it's just fine, right? Against racism. That's why I didn't realize what was going on when I first heard those words, right? I was like, yeah, of course I'm anti-racist. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people have a similar experience. But what anti-racism seems to really mean is something akin to what's being called critical social justice. Um, and notice I didn't say critical race theory. I say critical <laughs> justice, which is kind of a, an offshoot of critical theory or critical race theory, but not quite what it is. Um, the main, the primary tenet of critical social justice is uh, don't ask whether racism happened or not, ask how it manifests in this situation, which means that racism is always already happening. Right. You know, if, if you're if you're sitting on a bus next to a white dude, somehow that's racist. You just haven't figured it out yet. It's a, it's a nice drinking game, actually. You want to? <laughs> right. How is this like racist? That. Go. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. How can we turn this into racism? You know, mm-hmm. it's a nice little creative writing, uh, you know, pre-exercise or something. Right. Um, but yeah. Um, so that's that's what I'm seeing now. That's what I was seeing in my field, which is why I wrote a critique of anti-racism and um, rhetoric and composition specifically. I was kind of talking about the humanities at large, but I mm-hmm. know the best about my own field. So that's what I talked about, you know, right. take care of your own backyard. Mm-hmm. And what I was seeing there was this, you know, this purposeful framing of as many things as possible as somehow oppressive and violent, right? Uh, so I wanted to address that, and I realized that even with that book, it's not going to happen within the field. So I got to go outside of the field and mm-hmm. inform people of this. You know, sunlight's the best disinfectant, right? right. Uh, so I did that, realized that, okay, that's also happening here outside, you know, in these other institutions, right? Uh, racism is always already happening. Don't ask whether it was racist. It was racist. Figure out how it was racist. Right. And, and, and go from there. And that is the opposite of critical thinking. You know, critical thinking doesn't start with the conclusion and work its way back, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's actually motivated reasoning. Uh, it's called sophistic critical thinking. The sophists were opposed to Plato and Socrates. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, they were the tricksters right. uh, of uh, the polis, right? So there are already negative terms for that way of doing things. Critical thinking is you look at the 
you know, the evidence and based on that, you come to a conclusion, right? You don't start with the conclusion and work backwards. So that's what's going on um, with a lot of this. And I guess um, what I'm trying to say is anti-racism is the assumption that racism is always happening and the working backwards from that conclusion. Right. Um, there's a couple of things I want to point out, but first, Shamika, before he got into the parts of his field and why it's a problem, he started with, when he didn't say uh, critical race theory, critical social justice, right? And we've talked about this before, but it's important to pinpoint it and talk about how we're starting, not just from the conclusion, even the ideas that they're using can only come up with you know, a flawed result because it doesn't make sense. So critical social justice. So justice has a definition of its own. It's a word with very powerful meaning. You know, it's, it's supposedly uh, a very important basis for many of our laws, our overall constitution. You know, we have not always done the best job of striving for this justice, but at least we knew what the justice was and people were able to say, I know what justice is, so I can call it out when I don't see it. But when you start to add these modifiers, what I like to call it, you know, like the adjectives, justice, right? Or racism, environmental racism, right? You have, the, you know, this type of racism, you have all these different flavors. When you do that to justice, how do you ever get to justice? Because it's no longer the confines that we use for justice is with the adjective means I can make it something else. So it would not, you know, let's dispense with the critical part right there. The social justice, because that's what you hear all the time, right? The social justice, we need to focus on social justice. What exactly is social justice and how is it different from justice? Do you see that as a, as a starting point, the jumping off point for how we go off into these wild areas on, you know, basketball and milk and houses and sitting next to a white guy on a bus, not be, being racist because we all want justice, just like we all don't want to be racist. But when you can take justice and say, well, it's not justice unless it's got all these other things, you're doomed from the start. I think you're doomed from the start because a lot of these people that you see as social ju justice warriors, it's all relative, right? It depends on what they think justice is. Like there are a lot of people that would tell me I'm oppressed and I need these particular things so that I can feel better and go throughout my day when these could be things that I never even thought about. I never, ever once in my life looked at the ancient Mima bottle and said to myself, I would feel a lot more in control of my life if this black woman wasn't on this cert bottle. You know, I'm going to need them to do something about that or I can't eat this Uncle Ben's anymore. Right. I, you know, who, who sat around feeling that way? I didn't. But there were a group of people that felt like this is justice if we get these people removed from these packages. So I think it's all relative depending on the person. And I think that's why we're in such confusion right now because there are so many people that I would just say are nuts. You know, people that sit around all day and if you're looking for a, a chance to be offended, you're going to find it. And these are the people that are on the front line pushing, you know, what we know is social justice. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's ridiculous. Right. Well, you know, one good thing is a good example of this is I can't even believe I'm talking about that. I've turned down media to talk about this because I'm not, you know, it's just silly to me. But, you know, here we go. So there's a this recent police interaction in, in Memphis. I'm not making this up. I literally don't know the guy's name. I didn't watch the video. I keep saying I don't do this. People think I'm making it up, but I don't. But what I do know is that cops did something right or wrong. I'm assuming wrong because they got charged right away. So they get charged for it, right? They get charged for murder, I believe, not even like, you know, conduct or something. They get charged for murder. People protest. I don't really care whether they ignore the violence and looters and Antifa. Just the people who peacefully went out in cities across the country to say, we demand justice. They want legislative changes. But by if you don't put an adjective in front of it, justice would be, no one's ever saying stop people from doing anything bad. It's when they do bad, you know, we enforce the laws that are there. So isn't the fact that these men have been, I'm assuming they were all men, have been arrested and charged for murder, what is the extent of justice that they want? You know, I heard people talk about to, today. I saw somebody post something. Uh, all, you, we all, you all need to join me in, in qualified immunity. But if you get charged for murder, 
that wouldn't protect you from qualified immunity, right? Qualified immunity means I am doing something to the letter of the book of the, the rules of policing and something bad happens. Somebody should be accounted, accountable for it. The city may pay you money, but that cop doesn't go to jail because I did what I was supposed to do and something bad happened while I was doing what I was supposed to do. The moment I'm not following the rule book, I'm not covered by qualified immunity. So I don't understand. So is that because people just don't understand the justice system? Or is it because they really have a different, like Shamika said, definition of what justice is? And when you put social in front of it, it's anything we add. Uh, I, I think it, I think justice is one of those key terms. There's a term in my field called ideograph. Ideograph is when you have this one term that has various different meanings and whichever meaning you choose is the one that is best suited to your situation, right? <laughs> so if, if your uh, idea of justice is equality in front of the law and somebody else's idea of justice is, you know, um, revenge, you know, even if it's vigilante revenge, you know, that that's justice, you know, um, they can both agree that justice is a good thing, but they're talking about different things. And some people use that to their advantage. I'm talking about this, but he thinks I'm talking about that. I'll get him on my side enough so that I can uh, recruit him to some extent. So justice is one of those uh, terms, uh, along with racism now, you know, obviously, and diversity and equity and inclusion, mm -hmm. you, you get the picture. Yeah. Um, so yeah. this um, equivocation of meanings is sometimes inadvertent and sometimes quite purposeful. Regarding what happened um, over, well not, it happened a while ago, but we got the footage mm -hmm. uh, over the weekend. Um, <clears throat> those cops were on video, uh, they've been charged. What people want further is to look at the institution of policing, right? right? I mean, we can punish these guys, but the institution is still there, you know, which is exacerbated by the fact that they are all black, right? Mm -hmm. So if they're all black, how is this racism? Well, they they have colonized minds and their minds were colonized by the institution. So right. we need to deal with the institution, all right? Um, which is good and bad. Um, it's good because there is a problem with policing and their respective communities. We should take a look at that. We should have conversations about it. Uh, we should try to make things as, uh, uh, as good or as you know, just mm -hmm. as possible. Real um, just, not the fake just, right. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but the, the downside is that you know, because they're all black, people are looking at some differences here. They were charged right away. There wasn't no. Oh, you know, so that's uh, racist, right, right? Right. They're charged right away, or or uh, other people will say, "How come the protests were not as bad here as they were with George Floyd? Because they're black, mm. right? You know what I mean? So there are all kinds of different things coming up with this racial uh, dynamic, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, you can't win with that, right, Jamaica? Right. And, and and the other issue is. I mean, I, obviously, this is going to be a silly thing to say because no one's paying using logic. Because if, it's not that they have to be wrong, because you know we're critical thinkers about the system. The system could be colonizing minds and taking cops, regardless of what their background is, rich or poor, black or white, and teaching them you should be uh, mindful and fearful of black men when they walk down the street. You should attack them. You should hit them with your billy club. I don't know. Am I too old that I carry billy club? Anyway, you should do this. You should do that. Right? You should profile them. You should do all that stuff. That could be true. I haven't gone through police training. Maybe they do it. They, remember, they get the little, the, the, for the police dog they train to get the W, but they put a black face on it. Maybe they're doing all that. But the logic still comes in, in that there are police forces across the country, big and small, federal, state, and local, you're talking 2 million people. And we only see the most extreme cases. I know we don't see them all. There are more, right? But if the system is training these cops this way, Shamika, wouldn't we have these situations, I don't know, I'm going to be conservative here and say 32 times a week? I mean, we should be having this all the time, right? It shouldn't be like once every four months something happens and it only happens to the guy who, you know, ran and they say, why are you blaming the, uh, the, the, the victim? But whether they ran at a, a police stop or whether they fired at the officer, it never seems to happen. And very, very rarely, what, Philando Castile maybe is the only case you can think of where the guy was completely innocent, not accused, accused of a crime, not mistaken for somebody else. He looked like the suspect and nothing happened. So why wouldn't they at least have to ask if they were critical thinkers, why is this not happening so often? If the system is so built this way for so long, we should just have 
you know, I, I pick of the number of instances where this happens. Yeah, I definitely think if they're being conditioned and trained that way, we should see a lot more of it. And we should see a lot more of it coming from black officers, because I know here in my city, there are, are tons of black officers. I see them every day. But this situation is not something that I'm familiar with happening all the time. You know, not, I haven't even heard of it here. I've heard of officers roughing up, you know, people a little bit here and there of, of any color. Mm -hmm. um, but this, what we witnessed coming out of Memphis is not something that I see a lot of. So I do think if they're training people and conditioning their, their minds this way, we would definitely see um, more of that and more from black officers. And one last thing quickly, I got to prep myself because it's so, so so easy for me. I accidentally say the name. I got to make sure I don't say a name. But anybody who watches this from my hometown, you put it in the chat. I can't control you. But it was like literally known. Well, I'm from Gary, Indiana. There were like at least two cops, obviously the more, but two that everybody knew that were the, just, you know, just off the chain. They would beat right. you. They do all this kind of stuff. Like you say the name, people are like, oh, you got to stay away from him. Like everybody knew it. The drug dealers knew it. The people in the club knew it. Everybody knew it. You don't mess with him, right? I've seen him, you know, snatch a woman off, off, off the dance floor in a nightclub and just pick her up and physically throw her out the door, right? I mean, just like crazy stuff. Just go up, pull guns on people, all this kind of stuff. Everybody knew it. Shouldn't be on the force. But I don't really think they were trained that way, <laughs> right? Let's be real. It's, it's, it's a show of force kind of position with a, a, a layer of power. So some people do it because they want to help enforce justice and some people are bullies, right? So it's not like it can't happen. So the, these things need to be addressed. Nobody should be treated these ways, but the only way you can do it is to find out why it's happening. And is it a, there's a portion of it that's probably training. Some it's just bad cops that shouldn't be cops, the bullies or whomever. But you can't address that going back to what Eric talks about. You know, same thing. I'm, I mean, you can give us some examples in your field, but when you see everything through the lens as you describe anti-racism, or the same thing with social justice, you know, and my job and what I do is we solve problems. So there's an issue, you go into the conference room, you get the whiteboard, you put all the possible problems and all the potential things that could, you know, mess up the flow. And you think, well, could it be this? How do we address it? You put everything on the board. You don't, you don't say, well, we don't want to talk about that. You know, is it the cost? Is it the personnel? Is it the size of the staff? Is it all this stuff? Well, here they go. To, we all go to the to the board. It's like nine of us, and we get up there and they take the marker and they put racism, and the, and no one else gets the marker. So part of it could be racism, but what they're doing is eliminating any possibility to even consider all the other eight or nine options that may be at play here. So, you know, if if you look at it that way, uh, Eric, let's get into some of the ways that they're. And, and that's this is getting harder and harder every day. But if we're assuming positive intent, and we assume they just want justice. They just want to end racism. They just want to level the playing field, to fix the problems. How going about those issues, the way that they're thinking, is uh, causing sometimes more problems than, than were already there. Well, let me ask you this. When they write down that word racism and keep the marker, are they willing to talk about that? Like, you know, are they, are they willing to have a conversation about what is and isn't racism? That's a good question. Yes, they are. But, okay. but but only in the way in which you listen and learn, because we all need to learn, but you need to learn more than the rest of us, right? Okay. Right? Like <laughs> all animals are equal, but some animals more equal than others, right? So we all need to learn, but you need the most to learn. So we got to get you up to our level. Then we can listen. I'm not against listening to you. We got to get you up to our level. So they'll say, yes, we know it's racism and we'll talk about it, but only if, like you say, we're talking about how we fix the racism, not whether there, it is racism, whether who's racism, how it manifests itself, how deep it is, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so probably not in the way you'd want them to talk about it. Okay. So it's, it's a very critical social justice-oriented way of doing things. You start with the conclusion, you know, Pretty much. And, and then you work your way back. Right. Um, okay. That's, that's unfortunate, obviously. Yeah. Um, this reminds me of something um, in, again, uh, in my field, Kenneth Burke and his idea of tragic frames and comic frames, right? Hi, Will. Hey, Eric. Hi, Charles, Shamika. how are you guys? Hello, Will. Hey. I thought we were just gonna act like you weren't there. I'm like, I'll yeah. play along. I hey, see Will. the guy, but we gotta act like he's not there. Hey, yeah, I mean, I, I, I figured I'd get my moment in the sun, you know? There you go. <laughs> well, um, I was talking about tragic frame and comic frame. Comic frame is, 
you know, when people are misguided but have good intentions, right? And tragic frame is the opposite of that. They're not misguided. They know exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard to tell the difference between one and the other uh, at, at many times. But the problem is a lot of people don't want to deal with the possibility of the tragic frame. Uh, they want to they think, okay, they're just misguided. They're not thinking this through. Mm. Um, if only they would talk and things like that. Um, rarely entertaining the fact that they're not talking because they don't want to talk. And they know that talking will slow down things, whereas bullying will get things through, right? Um, they're taking opportunities. They're opportunistic. They're not doing this stuff because it's wrong. They're doing it because, oh, well, this, this, this visual is going to help us with, with our planning. There are many people, many more people would be upset if those cops were white, right? Uh, they're black, so it's a little more silent than it was with George Floyd, mm -hmm. right? A lot more silent. Um, actually. So people don't want to deal with the possibility that it may be the tragic frame and not the comic frame, mainly because as academics, <laughs> I can speak for uh, academics, um, that's a different skill set. You know, we're used to going up to that board, you know, writing down all the facts and having a conversation or debate, what have even, you. Even playing the other side. Some will right. say this, what do you think about this? Right. I need some of you to write the alternative. Are argue with me about this side of the point, this point of view. Nope, that's not that point of view is not even allowed in the classroom. No, talking, talking slows things down. Reason mm -hmm. and rationality, the things that academics like, that's what you use to build things, to co-create things. If you want to tear something down, that's the last thing you want. Right, right. And you're not trying to talk, you're trying to tear things down. Right, right. Right. So they're not. They're not not talking out of some kind of uh, weakness or emotional, um, you know, distress or something like that. They're not talking because of strategy. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, there are kind of two ways of looking at this, the tragic and the comic. And uh, I don't think we entertain the tragic enough. Right. And, and Will, what we want to talk about now, because we, what I was saying is that we talk about, you know, anti-racism and DEI stuff a lot. And a lot of time, it's just how you, you, you eloquently point out how crazy it is, how it's flawed and that thing. You know, we, we want to kind of focus on that part, though, like the, the, the results, what it's doing to the people's being taught. So as a child in the classroom, the curriculum is saying oppression, racism, you know, black history, which is great, except what is black history? Black history is slavery, Jim Crow, bad white man, not really positive. And, you know, I'll get to even when it's positive, how that can be skewed, too. So what is the what is that going to what effect does that have have on that child? What is it? What effect does it have on a college student in these courses where they only hear one side and they go through college, you know, in a in a social um, in, in, in the humanities and in, in, in political science and things of that nature? But they've never heard of many writers and thinkers on the right. What does that do to their ability to critically think? And what does it do to their um as the young people, their self-esteem if they're if they're black and they're being told all these negative things. Well, I, I think that's a good question. I also think Eric, uh, I want to shout him out on this, just made a really good point where he said that we and all of us on the panel are either academics, writers, pundits. We tend to make that assumption. And Charles, you call this giving the other guy their argument. Mm -hmm. We tend to make this assumption that people are reasonably well-intentioned, but th they might just be wrong about something. Maybe we can work with them on something. Mm -hmm. And I think that because part of my background is in business as well, there are whole sectors of my life where I don't make the assum that assumption, where I just assume the other guy's an asshole, where they kind of know what they're doing. Like they know you have some points. They know your product is probably as good as their product, but they're intentionally presenting what they're saying the way they're presenting it because they want to destroy you and move you out of the way. Right. Like Coke doesn't want to build shit with Pepsi. They want to get rid of Pepsi so they can dominate the market. It's the same thing in war. It's even the same thing for genuine racists. Like the nation of Islam and American Renaissance would probably agree on a lot of things, but they would prefer that the gentlemen in the other movement live in another country. So there's really not, there's not that much that can be built there. Like you're willing probably to lie about the guys in the other group. So they get the 
fuck out of here so you can build Wakandas. You can make your ideal society, right? I mean, so that that is exactly correct. So like when you talk about what's being taught, and this this actually helped me answer a question in my head that I've had for a long time. When you talk about what the outcome of modern DEI is, one of the things that struck me for a long time is that it doesn't seem to produce anything positive. Like there's this famous article in Harvard Business Review about five, six years ago, why diversity training doesn't work. And they go through like, and Eric's read it, he's nodding. But I think most black executives have read this. Like it, it came out like 2016, I think. But they go through like all these things. Does it make a team work better together to hear about like first white atrocities and then black crime? No, absolutely not. You know, does it does it improve this? Does it improve that? Does it improve, you know, very blacks? No. So if you look at, for example, race relations, if you look at the ability of students to get a good job in the contemporary system, if you look at a number of other, um, what I would think of as outcome dependent variables, those really aren't improved by DEI. I guess getting to the point, what DEI programs as they currently exist probably produce, I would virtually guarantee they produce, is revolutionary zeal might be the term, is a belief in a set of ideas that the teachers hold that they want the students to hold. So, I mean, what what this kind of education is producing is something that Eric's probably right, we're kind of naive about. It's the idea, the goal is the idea that America is sort of a negative place. Um, If you look at the 1619 Project, that things like our lack of national health care, our legacies of slavery, uh, a desire for quote unquote advocacy education, blah, blah, blah. But then when you get through the program, what do you do? Well, then if it's worked, you also are one of these activists, one of these advocates. That's the goal. That's that's not a bug. That is the feature. So, I mean, that's that's what modern DEI produces, almost certainly. Yeah. And you you don't have to make sense to recruit people. You have to be motivating. You have to be exciting. Right. You have to give them a narrative in which they're the protagonists, the heroes and and and, and they're needed. And you have to paint the exigence here, the, the problem as vividly as possible. Mm-hmm. No need to make sense. Um, there's a activist uh, in, in my neck that was named uh, Jonathan Smucker. He uh, wrote a book called Hegemony How To. And he makes this point out of his own observations with activism. Typically, you do the whole rah-rah thing to get people in. And once they're in, you start you know, talking about tactics and strategy, you, you're reasonable, right? Now you're reasonable. I just need you to get you in the door. That never happens now. You know, they, they do the rah-rah thing, they get you in the door and it's still rah-rah, right? No, Nobody's making any sense. Nobody's saying, okay, here's the plan. Here's what we want to do. Here's what we want to build when we tear things down. Right. They're not doing that. Right. Right. They, they just, they, they, they want willing soldiers, Right. And in order to do that, you do not need to speak syllogistically. Uh, you do not need to hand over stats and things like that. You, you you just need to be, I don't know, motivating. Right. Yeah. Just kind of second line in a, in a quick burst for me and I'll shut up for a bit. But like one thing that strikes me every time I listen to this is that the obvious analog is religion. And I don't think, and this is not original, John McWhorter just said this at book length, but I think that people on both sides of the divide sometimes don't get this. Like, I I was listening to the conservative pundit Matt Walsh the other day, just like driving to work. I like Matt, he's a funny guy. But he was like, these people with this gender ideology, they realize that young kids will believe any kind of bullshit. If you've got a group of young kids, what you want to do is put them in a class with a motivated teacher starting at about age four. And it's like, you know, I went to Catholic school. You know, I still have some affection for Holy Mother Church. But this idea that you can begin by enthusiastically, loudly telling people things early in life and they will cling to them their entire life. This is this is not a novel idea. Every system that includes an element of faith. And I think we all, to some extent, believe in one of these. It does this. So like when you listen to someone like Ibram Kendi talking, it's not just the cadences, which are, you know, preacherly, but it's like the statements. Like, I mean, his basic pitch is to quote, there's nothing wrong with black people. So he'll walk down the stage and ask questions like, do you think there's anything wrong with you? Or do you think that, you know, like every gap between us and the white man is caused by racism? 
And just like objectively thinking about that, it would be like, well, no, I think there's some things wrong with us and some things wrong with them. <laughs> like we're a little better in the gym. Maybe they could go work out. A lot of them look fat. Maybe we could hit the books a little more. Like, of course, there's some things wrong with me and there's some things wrong with my boy who's Caucasian. What are you talking about? Are you a fool? I mean, but I, so I think that that without intending to insult him, that that's, of course, how you'd respond to that. But it's a great tent revival message. Like, there's nothing wrong with you that the Lord can't fix. I mean, so it's literally like I've heard preachers say that. So that's the appeal. It's the same religious kind of talk. The goal is getting people into the religion. And once, as, as Eric said, you're a motivated soldier, then you go forward. And what do you do? You do God's work. Like once you're, you know, once you're in silver ring thing, what do you do? You, you don't fuck in high school. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily that there's a logical point to it. You've been, you're on that side. I'd recommend reading Chairman Mao on this, by the way. I mean, there's the little red book. There's people's revolt. I'm not kidding at all. I'm looking at there are whole yeah. books on how to do a cultural revolution. You know, be like, what is it? The gorilla is like the shark among fish. There's a great deal of advice on how to do this from a minority perspective, a majority perspective. And we're seeing it now. But we're still running into the problem that Eric mentioned that Mao and others in the church, at some point, they got some marching orders for you. Right? Yeah. The, the, the always rah-rah is a little different. And Shamika, so to that, isn't what they're doing, I mean, Kendi aside, his stuff is obviously, uh, you know, toxic and flabby and nonsensical. But uh, regardless of, I mean, Will said, I try to assume positive intent. It's getting harder. But regardless of, I mean, at this point, I don't have to, though. It doesn't matter what your intent is. Let's just look at the logic of, your, of what you're doing. And, you know, I was talking earlier with you and Eric about how these are the struggles I'm in in real life right now talking with my, my, my kids' school. And the things they say, and I, unlike them, I mean, I assume that they, they mean it and their reactions uh, kind of, you know, lead me to believe that because at least they're open to me and they listen and that kind of thing and bite me in to speak and all that. But at the end of the day, they're saying, we got to do this important work, right? Important work to talk about racism and to deal with racism head on and teach the kids, whatever. But then they teach all the typical, you know, slavery, Jim Crow negative stuff. So I say, well, you know, it's pretty negative. And they say, gotcha, Charles, too negative. We're going to clean that up. We're going to talk about some positive stuff. Thanks for bringing my attention. And so now they're, they're, they're like, we're going to celebrate Black joy, right? And then we're going to talk about this. You know, but the way they frame it, because they so uh, what I told the teacher today, to, I, you know, try to paint a picture so people can get it. So I said, think of it as New York. We used to always talk about New York is the United States is inviting to immigrants. Right. We're a nation of immigrants. All the people on the left say this now. And then that we used to be a melting pot. Right. Where you could come in, hold true to your cultures, but become uniquely American. And we all blend together. Well, now we move to the tall salad. Right. So so what they say is. <laughs> I didn't say tossing you. Shamika and Will did the same thing. I don't think much about a lot of these. Forgive them. No. But so in the sense that, and, and I see all the writings around, they talk a lot about differences, right? So so when you say, what are you trying to do? They say, we want everybody to come together. We want them to understand that we're all united. We're one, which is great. But when you see everything that they write and everything that they read and everything they teach is differences. So basically, the reason I say tell salad, Shamika, is because they wanted the components. You eat them together, but they're all separate. Right. So they want to say this is the characteristics of a tomato. This is the characteristics of lettuce. They're unique and different and they have nothing to do with each other. Right. So let me tell let me prop up the tomato or talk about how the tomato was treated before, but how the tomato is now. Let me celebrate the wonderfulness of a tomato. And they say, now go make a salad. Like, go be together. The flavors must blend together. You get that bite, and it's as one as a salad. Not realizing when the salad piece and all the ingredients of salad get on the playground, they'll be like, yeah, according to what teacher said, it's better to be an onion than to be lettuce. I feel sorry for you, you little piece of lettuce, right? Because we keep talking about what's differences. So they talk difference, 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 so they can focus on collectivism. That's the way we're going to get to being together by being different. And so what's unique about my son, I was saying, is my son's the only black kid in his class. So whether they're saying blacks are oppressed, which we all agree is bad, or they're, they're highlighting a, a great flag is still what they call, I'm using their terms, uh, Eric, they're othering. So what happens is, right, we see black doctors. I used the doctors in the example. We see black doctors all the time. We, I mean, doctors all the time. We, we look at that as the level of success. So doctor, 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 doctor. But when you want to talk about a black doctor, he's like, ooh, 
black doctor, looky here, Shamika, we got a black doctor. So you don't say the words, but what I hear is anybody, I mean, yeah, we all know that there are white doctors, but how often do you see a nigga that's a doctor? It's pretty impressive. Look at the black, oh, come on, this is rare right here. This is rarefied air. And so there's one black kid in the class, and what he hears is he's got an off chance if he tries real hard and he's lucky to be a doctor, but if you're white, you can just trip and fall into being a doctor. So even when they say things that are positive, it's framed in a way that for anything that's positive for black Shamika is unique. Like, hey, I mean, come on. Uh, we love Barack Obama. Let's be real. He was the only black president. They only been one, 44 of others. But, you know, that's that's the way they frame it. So I'm like, that's still negative. Right. You still put they talk about they 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 have these skin ex, uh, ex, uh, lessons where they talk about skin. Skin is unique. Skin is stiff. We are different because skin. Whatever. But here we have a nice blend of skin. We're all diverse. Right. Look around the classroom. Look at how diverse, diverse the skin is. And diverse is only skin. The, the skin is only diverse in one corner of the, of the classroom. Right. And when I point this out to them, they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. So if if you're doing this, because a lot of this is in places where the, the students are majority white. Right. So they're not necessarily saying white is bad, although some of the people who write the materials that they write, if you catch them when they're not in the classroom, they are saying it. But they're not saying that. But what they're saying is differences, differences. Look at these differences. Now, go be go go be equal. And I don't see how that can result in anything but animosity. I think that is kind of the point, you know, that it results in animosity at some point. By the way, I think your um, toss salad analogy will make an excellent cartoon. I think you could try to find somebody who can who can draw and animate and, and make that happen, man. That could, you know, be a YouTube sensation. Well, you, 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 it's funny you mentioned that because I, I'm at the point that I'm torn because they made a good point. I pointed out this stuff. They were very open and honest with me. They weren't antagonistic. They didn't just ah, go away. They're like, come talk to us. Tell us more. You know, so when, but when I talked about materials, they got me. They, they, they backed me in the corner. What they said was, we are open to uh, diversity of thought. And in our older grades, we bring in some of that stuff. But what you want me to do, K through three? It's not my fault that Kendi and, and Nicole Hannah Jones writing books and you, your side's not. So we don't have the kid version of, you know, blacks were in the water because they jumped off the slave boat. What's the name? Oh, born on the water. Now we don't have the, 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 the alternative version of that. We don't have the alternative to anti-racist, maybe anti-racist fetus, but yeah, we don't have the alternative <laughs> to anti-racist baby. So there does need that we have a gap of so many, but we have a gap there and not enough materials. But of course, it's because normal people didn't think that we'd be teaching this in, in kindergarten. So, of course, nobody was thinking about it. But I guess now that we know that that's going to happen, we while we're trying to change the way it's taught, we need to at least be in the game so our voices are being heard in the classroom. Have the art teacher draw an aardvark who's all about viewpoint diversity and put it on. I mean, come on. You know, I mean, we can do that. We can have those books. I think it's a good idea to have those books. But that's no excuse that they're, that's a bad excuse they're giving you. Yeah. You know, they could do their own thing if they wanted to. <laughs> they could, they could. You know? They're not going to do the heavy lift, come on. They didn't, uh, they yeah. didn't create the uh, other materials. Somebody said, drop them off for free. I mean, Nicole Hannah-Jones shipped a hundred of them to every school because they got the money behind them and all that. But um, to that, you know, describing how big this problem is, you had an interesting, you and your group way of trying to, like you said, combat, the, you had to get out of acad academia because, you know, you need to go where the people were. And I want to talk about free black thought a bit. I know when I first uh, found out about it, it was, you know, kind of humble, humbling, and it was really nice. I, I'm, I'm on the, uh, I'm on, on the Twitter, on the internet, looking at the Twitter. I'm scrolling through, and there's this uh, Twitter handle that's posting all this stuff about anybody black who has um, some media presence, right? They have a radio show, podcast, news, whatever. So I see all this stuff, check out this podcast. And then liberal and conservative, didn't matter. It's all this play. And all of a sudden my radio show is on. I'm like, ah, oh, who are these people? How'd they find this radio show? Right, so I'm like, that's pretty cool. And then I started to see the art articles and stuff as you built this up and uh, you know, seeing where you are now is pretty cool. But talk about how you, why you decided to start the uh, Free Black Talk. Well, I was, uh, you know, getting out of academia at the time for reasons I already explained. And uh, my activities beyond the ivory tower were uh, being noticed. Mm -hmm. uh, so people contacted me um, and uh, we started talking. They were like, you should be, you know, uh, you know a part of this uh, whole thing that we're trying to do here. Let's talk about it. And yada, 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 free black thought. And then we started growing more people. 
-hmm. And, um, you know, now we are what we are and we are continuing to grow. The mm -hmm. point of free black thought um, is it can be explained with the word free, right? So free black thought can be a declarative, uh, free black thought, this is free black thought. You can say whatever you want here, right? Um, that's what it is. And then it can be an imperative. You have to free black thought because mm -hmm. it's only allowed to be one thing, right? Mm -hmm. So free it from this, these confines that the media has put on it and, and, and let people know that there are various ways, various viewpoints within black America. Uh, so that's that's the main point of it. And that's what the uh, point of the journal of Free Black Thought, uh, the website, eventually podcasts and events. Uh, so that's that's what we're about. That's awesome. Uh, and before we get out, I got to talk about it briefly because, you know, we're coming up on the whole month of blackness is coming. The good, oh, yeah. the best month of the year. All things about the black man. So <laughs> what are your thoughts on Black History Month? You know, kind of the way we do it now compared to the way you did it. We, we talked about it when you were younger and where it should go. And, and you know, the, it's odd that you even have to mention this, but the negatives that's around it, of course, there's all these arguments. I saw MLK days become a madness. I, I, I want it to end at this point. I'll go on record and, and take the arrows. I want it done. Change it. Give me a civil rights uh, um, movement day or something because MLK day is just becomes a crazy fight of um, whether, whether he was a... Uh, a socialist or a capitalist, whether he was a, 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 a this Baptist preacher who talked about God or whether he was a revolutionary, uh, Republicans, you don't get to talk about him, but it's a federal holiday. Uh, you didn't even read or you don't even read him because you don't understand that he said uh, it just becomes arguments all day. It's just all day. People talking about you don't know anything. It's, it's insane. But Black History Month being more than a day. Tell us your thoughts on, on the month. Are you asking me? I'm asking you. You know, what you think about the, the month and what you think we should be doing, what you think is going to happen, how they uh, celebrate it versus, you know, what they should use this time for, just, you know, general thoughts. It would be nice to have African-American history as part of American history, you know, um, you know looking at it that way. Um, I, I get the distinction because of Black skin, there is a different trajectory um, that uh, white people, for the most part, did not have. Mm -hmm. um, but the the month, what is that month really doing? Um, the month seems to be separating. You know, um, there's there are Americans and then there are black people, right? And That's what's going to happen in my son's kind of, classroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People kind of look at that and kind of subconsciously run with that, right? Uh, there's something distinct about you that we have to celebrate. Then people get jealous because why are they getting all the attention? I don't pay attention to those guys. That's just ridiculous. Um, but I, th I think it's doing more harm than good because it's doing more separating than what it's supposed to be doing, which is informing and bringing people together. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't know how to fix that exactly. Uh, perhaps we can flood the Black History Month market with articles talking about that, right. um, arguing that at least that is happening. Maybe we can do that right. um, and, and be kind of a, a squeaky wheel or, a, you know, um, uh, what's the term? The broken record? Yeah, right. uh, about that idea. Um, but other than that, I, I I don't know. Shamika, it's like a tall salad. <laughs> hmm. And please know I'm going to go back and replay Will's uh, impression of a preacher over and over and over <laughs> again because that was hilarious. I thought he was about to lay <laughs> hands on somebody. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I got a call from my uh, daughter's school that they're encouraged to dress in African wear, Pan-African colors, or uh, dress in Wakanda wear. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yes. No. And wow. I had it on speakerphone, and I was so glad that even my daughter was like, Wakanda wear. <laughs> so costumes now? You're wearing so Halloween costumes for Black History Month? So Black History is just everything for Black people. We're, we're going to have a Christmas tree and, and Halloween decorations. It's just everything Black at yeah. once. Right. It's a whole month. So basically, you can live out every holiday and make it Black. You can have Black Easter. You can have Black uh, uh, 4th of July. You can have Black... What? Will it be great? It's 28 days. It's all the holidays, but Black. Black New Year. Tom is not a real place. Wakanda's yeah, not a real place. Wakanda's not a real place. 
Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And her principal is a doctor, you know? She, I mean. They think they're helping. They think they're helping. Uh, Is the principal white? No. Oh, okay. Neither's mine. Yeah, she's not. And it's a predominantly black school. Um, but it's just disappointing for for me from from what I experienced as a child when it came to Black History Month to what I'm seeing now, like when my kids were um, like when my oldest daughter maybe was coming through, it was still a little bit more focused. But I remember being irritated when they were celebrating people like uh, Two Chains and they ran out of people. Yeah, I yeah. So I was, I remember being irritated by that. And then when I got the call about Wakanda, I just, I just don't know anymore. Like, what do I say? What do I do? It's like. Yeah, we too far gone. I don't know. Yeah. It's right. I don't know what you can do with this. But Will, your thoughts on uh, uh, BHM? Yeah. So, I mean, like some of this has always been a critique of Black History Month from like the black upper middle class, like, you know, strip clubs will always do like Martin Luther King Day specials and stuff like this. Like, come see your beautiful sisters down here at like the bucket of booty or whatever. And people always make fun of it. But yeah, I mean, in terms of and oh, and the Wakanda thing. Yeah, I agree. You know, Wakanda is obviously not a real place. That's like having St. Patrick's Day and encouraging all the white kids to dress up like it's Asgard or something. Like, we're going to celebrate all the great white countries, you know, Ireland, Germany, Midgard, you know, heaven, you know. So, like, that's that's funny. In general, I don't have any real objection to Black History Month. The the objection that I have is to multiculturalism in general. Like, I don't feel most people know very much about their own culture. So when people try to reach out into other cultures, what they're generally doing is not showing an appreciation of kind of the whole range of human history. What they're generally doing is putting like a little light marks washing on another society. So Black History Month is generally talking about like Martin Luther King a little bit, Harriet Tubman a little bit, like some irrelevant rappers. Yeah. And then it's like- Yeah. And then like telling a bunch of lies about continental Africa, like the recent Woman King movie where they made Gezo the good guy and like the the women were fighting slavery. So I don't really think that there's anything. I don't think people get too much out of it. But again, it's it's like affirmative action versus legacy programs in context. It doesn't irritate me all that much. If you got rid of Black History Month and kept Hispanic History Month, LGBT Heritage Month, St. Patrick's Day, Christopher Columbus Day, Casimir Pulaski Day, so on. I would oppose that. If you if there was a bill on the table to get rid of all of that and just actually teach history, like, you know, Jimmy's name is Pulaski, and that means he comes from Poland. Poland is a country in Europe. I would I would give a great deal of money to see the schools return to that. So I guess that is the final goal. But I mean, it's cool. We have an idiotic history month, just like everybody else. The problem is that the teacher doesn't know anything about the history of any of these places. The teacher doesn't speak Gaelic and doesn't understand, you know, white near slavery of the American (laughs) Irish and so on. So it's it's just sort of a chance for everyone to be ethnically annoying in sequence. And we get one of the longer periods. So I don't I don't think that's good. But at least we get the longer period. Eric, you want to uh, end by giving us Damn some great right. news about your? Uh, oh yeah, we should all go out and buy some Wakanda wear wherever we get that Halloween. What, what, is, what is that even like? A Black Panther mask? It's a something? Halloween costume. It's literally. Yeah, a Halloween I don't costume. even know. Like shave your head, her, like carry right. a spear, a ball cap, like you know, <laughs> so she can go to school ball and wear red. I just don't even know. See, everybody so, wasn't bald in Wakanda. Black Panther. Catch, everybody wasn't bald. Black Panther, I will say, it could have been. I didn't see the movie. With like a bunch of hip hop cats from Atlanta designing like an Afro futurist city, has one of the not even coolest, but one of the funniest aesthetics I've ever seen. Like I remember, I was in the theater with a couple of my boys, mixed blacks and white, and we all tried to control it, but started laughing when the first movie opened, and you see this skyscraper with a hut on top. It's like they're like branches coming out. And I'm so sorry, on. I'm sorry, Eric. Sometimes we go down a rabbit hole real quick. Okay, Mother I didn't land. see the second movie, but I saw the first one. What got me was everybody walked out of there so proud, like because it was a real place, wasn't right? Black Power. Okay, whatever. But they were proud, but that's not what got me. What got me, they were 
I think Shamika and I might have mentioned it. They were proud because in Wakanda, they were supposed to be so technologically advanced, right? They had the latest and greatest. But other than the elite, you know, uh, Black Panther and his family, his sister and all of them, everybody else were fighting with spears, right? They're so well, elite. But, but they shoot somebody with a semi. They were they were laser spears, though. But like just Black Panther, this is something that a lot of people have pointed out. They were also the running Brothers. and jumping. Well, yeah, but like from the Hotep brothers to the alt-right, like people have pointed this out, like Black Panther is a country run by an absolute monarchy. And it's a monarchy. Like, the penalty for disrespecting the king is death. Like there's a rebel tribe up in the hills like led immigrants? by a six, seven brother with a club that worships gorillas. Like, I mean, it's one of the wildest, most primitive societies in the game. Yeah. So, I mean. The second movie is even crazier without like giving it away. But like it turns out the second most advanced country in the world is run by Mexican Indians and it's under the ocean. So right. like Namor, the submariner who in the comic books is just like a white guy is a Mayan. And the whole movie is like the Mayan guy who has the second most advanced technology in the world. Let's get like breathe underwater and shit is trying to fight the black people that are the greatest tech overlords in the world. They want to be number one. Yeah. And occasionally, like some white with their primitive, you know, AR-15 stumbles into the picture. It's it's a hilarious sort of racial revenge fantasy. Oh, my God. Yes. yes. It, yeah, stem, is, stem is white supremacy, yet uh, they're celebrating the technology of uh, Wakanda. You know, they, they like that. But how dare you uh, make us take AP classes? I don't know. Right. Well, the, the underlying theme of both AP movies American, is I mean, that one of the minority history. societies really should conquer the world. Like Killmonger just openly keeps saying this in the first movie, like, you know, let me at that vibranium and the sun will never set on the Wakandan Empire, like waving a spear in the air. I mean, so like there's plenty of yeah. old school militarism there if you're yeah. if you can recognize it. Eric, we will close again. We got sorry we got off on a tangent, but uh, your exciting news with the. Uh, about your announcement with the Cato Institute. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, for the next few months anyway, I'll be a visiting scholar for uh, Cato. So I'll be, you know, um, obviously writing for them, organizing events, uh, partnering with other uh, organizations for events um, and, and media and, and, and things like that. It's, it's just, um, we thought it would be a good match. You know, uh, we have a lot of uh, foundational agreements um, when it comes to all this stuff. So uh, for the next few months, that's what I'll be doing. Oh, well, that's cool. And don't forget about us little people. Um, but that, uh, it's been great. Thanks for joining us. He is Eric Smith, professor of rhetoric at uh, York College and the co-founder and president of Free Black Thought. Eric, thanks for joining us. A lot of fun. Thanks. God, I got a country to save, cause I'm Patriot J and I'm saving a day.